The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to CDIF Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We would like to thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making the show possible, and we welcome and thank our listeners for joining us today. We are um, appreciate having our guest here today, Dr. Lori Hicks. Dr. Hicks is the director of the CDC Get Smart program in the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the, C- the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. We also have with us Dr. Arjan Svinivasan. Dr. Svinivasan is Associate Director for Healthcare-Associated Infection Prevention Programs in the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the Center of Disease Control and Prevention also. At, uh, we are here to discuss today the using of antibiotics wisely and what everyone can do to help in the fight of antibiotic resistance worldwide. At this time, I would like to introduce our first guest, Dr. Lori Hicks, to the show. And thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Hicks. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here, Nancy. Thank you for having us on. Uh, we are so excited and we appreciate your time and efforts and being with us today on C. diff spores and more. And I don't want to waste any time and I want to jump right in and ask you, if you wouldn't mind please explaining to our global listeners why it is so important that doctors and patients use antibiotics appropriately. It's a really important question and I, I think it's important to to realize that the value of antibiotics cannot be overemphasized. When I think about antibiotics, I recognize them as a critical tool in medicine to fight infections caused by bacteria, and they really should be treated like a limited natural resource, and I'll talk more about why why that is in a little bit. Um, But most of modern, modern medicine actually depends upon having effective antibiotics. Uh, routine surgeries, chemotherapy, transplants, most of these procedures and, and medical advances could really not be safely performed if we didn't have effective antibiotics. So they're really, really critical and, and really serve as a foundation for a lot of the advances that we have made in mod- modern medicine. One of the problems is, is that the more we use them, the more we lose them. And I'll clarify what I mean by that. Um, Every time you or I use an antibiotic, it becomes less effective for treatment of infections. And that's not only for those of us who have taken the antibiotic. So if I'm taking an antibiotic and um, 
I get another infection later on that's similar, it may be less effective to treat that infection. But this also applies to those around us, our family, our friends, and members in our community. Because what will happen is if I take an antibiotic and the bacteria that live in, in and on my body are more likely to become resistant or develop resistance, I actually share those bacteria with other members of my family community. And, it, and I know it's hard to think about that. Most of us, when we, and we have talked to a lot of folks about this particular topic, and they, they talk about how they think about their bodies becoming resistant to the antibiotic, but it's actually the bacteria that develop resistance. And those bacteria can be shared from one person to another. And so you may have heard quite a bit about the problem of antibiotic resistance in the news. It's increasingly um, in the news. You maybe have heard about MRSA or other infections that are difficult to treat due to antibiotic resistance. It's actually one of our most concerning public health threats, both here in the U.S. as well as across the globe. And in a report released by the CDC back in 2013, we estimated that 2 million illnesses are caused by antibiotic-resistant infections, and 23,000 deaths result each year from antibiotic resistance. We think this is probably an underestimate, so obviously those numbers um, could even be quite larger. Another important piece of information to keep in mind is that when antibiotic resistance develops, and when you're trying to treat an antibiotic-resistant infection, it's more likely that you will encounter a situation where the treatment won't work, where you may need hospitalization, whereas in the past it may have been an infection that could have been easily treated in, in the outpatient setting. It also can lead to longer hospitalizations and increases the risk of death. So this is not um, an inconsequential problem that we're dealing with. We're talking about serious consequences, not only from a human health aspect, but also in terms of um, cost to the medical system and to our, to our uh, society. In the past, we have been very dependent upon development of new antibiotics to solve this problem, but it's important to know that discovery of new antibiotics has almost come to a complete standstill, and so we're very quickly running out of options. So as I, I keep saying in, in many of the discussions we have, that there's never been a more important time to think about how we're using antibiotics and make sure that we're using them appropriately. Exactly. And thank you so much for all of those highlights, Dr. Hicks. We appreciate that. Um, we would like to ask you, and how often are you seeing antibiotics used inappropriately in an outpatient setting, like a doctor's office, per se? Right. So this is a bit disturbing. Um, the numbers are actually quite striking, and it's estimated that approximately half of all antibiotics are unnecessarily prescribed in office settings mostly for upper respiratory infections like coughs and colds, and most of these illnesses are caused by viruses. And not only do we have a lot of overuse or inappropriate use of antibiotics, we just use a lot of antibiotics in general. The number of antibiotic prescriptions filled each year in the United States averages out to about 
enough for every five out of every six people in the U.S. each year. So just an incredible amount of antibiotic use. And not only are antibiotics used when they are not needed, but we often see providers choosing a more powerful antibiotic than is needed to treat an infection. And this may be based upon a misperception that they may work better. So there is a a lot of overuse of antibiotics, but there is also quite a bit of inappropriate selection of antibiotics, and it's important to tackle both of these issues. Exactly. And Dr. Hicks, why do you think so many doctors are prescribing antibiotics when they aren't necessary? So this is work that has been done over a period of many years, and we keep hearing the same themes over and over and over again. The first one that comes up almost universally is the issue of patient satisfaction. Providers are very concerned about getting bad reviews, and now patients can go on the Internet and describe uh, their experience and can be very open about whether they did not receive an antibiotic when they really wanted one. Um, This can reflect poorly on the provider from a score perspective, even if the provider was doing the right thing. The other issue is that providers are, are interested in maintaining their patient population and, and they want their patients to be repeat customers. They want their patients to come back to them. And, and they're worried about the potential patient going down the street to another provider and getting what they want from that provider and then not ever coming back um, to see them again. So that is definitely a major concern and a recurrent theme in a lot of the work that has been done looking at this question. I think it's important to know that when providers feel pressure to prescribe from a patient or Um, a parent, they are much more likely to do so even if an antibiotic isn't needed. So I just wanted to emphasize that point because what the patient or parent does during that visit really does reflect upon whether or not an antibiotic is prescribed or not and whether it's prescribed appropriately. So patients and parents have a role to play here for sure. In addition to that, there are some situations where diagnostic uncertainty is a problem. For example, fearing that there's a bacterial infection or that you may be missing a bacterial infection, and if you don't provide an antibiotic, then the patient might be be getting um, undertreated or they may get a lot sicker. And it sometimes can be challenging to determine if an illness like a sinus infection is caused by bacteria. Um, So, What we're really hoping for is that providers are paying close attention to the guidelines and prescribing only when it's recommended according to guidelines. But there are other um, tools that we need, and hopefully this will change in the future, and perhaps we'll have better diagnostics that can help providers distinguish between infections that need antibiotic treatment and those that don't. And lastly, time pressure. We hear this a lot from providers. Um, They're expected to see patients on a shorter time course than ever before, and the volume and turnover of patients in an outpatient office is very rapid. Um, So high volume, not a lot of time. And it's easier for providers to actually just write a prescription, hand it over to the patient, than to spend the time to talk to the patient about why an antibiotic is not needed. 
So the main issues are patient satisfaction, diagnostic uncertainty, and time pressure. Exactly. And Dr. Hicks, thank you so much for pointing out all of those topics there and um, why patients sometimes also pressure doctors to give them antibiotics when they aren't needed. And we are going to take a uh, break at this time. We're going to pause for a moment for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing using antibiotics wisely and what everyone can do to help in the fight against antibiotic resistance with Dr. Lori Hicks. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. We all want to live a healthy, vibrant life. With so many toxins in our world, it becomes an uphill battle. Inflammation is the premise of all disease and comes from four sources of toxins. With a proper understanding of toxins as well as proper detoxification and nutrition, disease can be avoided. Tune in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan and learn how you can live a clean, whole, and healthy life in a toxic world. Start your journey Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. We welcome our listeners for joining us today also. We would like to welcome back at this time Dr. Lori Hicks. And Dr. Hicks, before break, we were discussing... Uh, why do patients sometimes pressure doctors in giving them antibiotics when they don't seem to be needed? If you'd like to continue um, talking about this, that would be fantastic. Happy to elaborate on this. And I have to say I'm very sympathetic because I've, I've experienced this myself. I think we all have. Um, when we get sick, we all want to feel better when we get sick. And, and there really has been a long-term perception that antibiotics are the harmless quick fix. Um, Many of us have children, and for those of us who have young kids, um, when they're sick, it may mean a sleepless night for both your child as well as the parents, and so that can be a very difficult situation, especially if you have to go to work the next day. Um, Obviously, we don't want our children to not feel well, so 
So there, there are a number of reasons why um, parents pressure doctors. And one of the other reasons is that many of us have likely received an antibiotic for an illness in the past for which it really was not needed. Um, providers often say that patients have grown to expect antibiotics for illnesses that are not, they are not designed to treat. Um, I, here's just an example. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm just saying this is an example, giving this an example, because I've actually heard this example many, many times, and I've experienced this myself as a clinician, um, had a patient who came in, and she had a cold, which turned out to be, um, turned into a sinus infection, and it had lasted a total of six days. Um, when she had the infection the last time, the um, provider that she came to see gave her an antibiotic, and within a matter of days, she felt much better. But the issue is, and, and it's hard to kind of explain this, is that in these situations where an infection is caused by a virus, um, when you take an antibiotic, it doesn't have any impact on treatment of that infection, but you would have gotten better anyway. And so I think that's the important piece to note. And so there can be this misperception that the antibiotic actually helped you get better. Um, so now when she gets the same infection, every time she gets this infection, she goes to the provider expecting to receive an antibiotic for this illness. And in many instances, if she had a specific type of antibiotic, she may even ask for that specific antibiotic, said, hey, this worked for me last time. And that reaction is completely understandable. Um, so it's really important for providers to spend the time with patients to explain why this may have happened. And so it's this cycle of expectation that develops. Um, but it's important to know that cold and sinus infection symptoms can last up to two weeks in many cases. So one thing I say is instead of asking for an antibiotic, I encourage patients, all of you, to have an open dialogue with your provider about the risks and benefits of taking an antibiotic. Um, most of us just want a clear explanation as to, you know, what is going on? Am I going to be okay? And even if there isn't a cure, what can I do to feel better? Exactly. And Dr. Hicks, exactly what kind of symptoms should not be treated with an antibiotic? So I think I'm, I'm going to say this a couple of times because I think it's really important to know the distinction. Antibiotics do not work to fight infections caused by viruses like colds, most sore throats, and the flu, and there are plenty of other infections. They're completely ineffective um, in treating as well. They will not relieve symptoms or speed recovery from viral infections. That is the bottom line. I'm going to say it again. Colds are universally caused by viruses, and antibiotics are completely ineffective for treating colds. So, and most of those infections that we get this time of year, runny noses, sore throats, headaches, just general um, not feeling well are caused by viruses. Even those really persistent coughs, um, chest, chest colds, also known as acute bronchitis, are caused by infections that are mostly self-limiting. Um, there is also a perception that if you have bronchitis, 
you need to have an antibiotic in order to get better. Um, in most instances, actually, an antibiotic is not indicated, and really, acute bronchitis is almost the same as a chest cold. There are a few exceptions, and people who have underlying diseases and other um, complicated medical histories, it may be appropriate. But in the majority of people, um, treatment for a cough illness is not necessary. So one thing I want to point out is that most episodes of sore throat are caused by viruses. I think probably most people are familiar with the term strep throat, but strep throat is really the only in bacterial infection um, that we're concerned about for, for the routine sore throat episodes. And out of all sore throats, it only causes about 10 to 15% of sore throat episodes in adults. For kids, the frequency of strep throat is actually quite a bit higher, but not really that high. It's only about 30%, so it's still less common than a viral infection. Um, one important note is that your provider really can't tell just by examining your throat whether you have strep or, an, or a sore throat caused by a virus. So in that instance, a, a throat swab test is needed to determine to determine whether you have strep. So in that scenario of having a, a sore throat, in order to determine whether you have strep or not, you must have a throat swab test. Um, and so just to kind of turn this around, up to 90% of sore throats in adults and up to 70% of sore throats in children are actually caused by viruses. So the vast majority are caused by viruses and not by a bacterial infection. Coming to sinusitis, again, another very common condition that leads to antibiotics um, and antibiotic prescription. Actually, it is estimated that around 90% of sinusitis cases are caused by viruses. So again, the vast majority of sinusitis episodes, um, persistent congestion are caused by viruses. Um, and even in certain circumstances where you have a mild infection, even if it is caused by a bacterial um, organism, it actually often can resolve without, without an antibiotic. I get this question all the time from families, family members and friends. Um, I think it's really important to know that if you develop green or yellow mucus, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need an antibiotic. My sister actually just called me and asked me about this a few weeks ago. It's actually your body's normal response to fighting an infection. So don't just assume because you have some unpleasantly colored mucus coming out of your nose that you have to have an antibiotic. Okay, that's wonderful. And Dr. Hicks, it's really nice to know that we there are lab tests and diagnostics available also to determine the strep versus a regular sore throat caused by a virus. And that's another um, good topic is, well, I, I'd like to take a minute right now and discuss the successful CDC Get Smart program and the campaign that you um, head and you help implement yeah, so we have had a program at CDC called Get Smart, No Antibiotics Work. Um, it, this program was actually launched in 2003, and we work to educate parents of young children and the general public about both the problem of antibiotic resistance and the importance of using antibiotics appropriately. 
We also work to educate providers about the same topics. It's important to um, educate both providers and patients and the general public about this particular topic. And our goals are to decrease unnecessary antibiotic use and improve the quality of health care and reduce the spread of resistance. Um, we really want to promote adherence to prescribed therapies when they're needed as well. So not only do we want to decrease um, inappropriate prescribing and decrease demand for antibiotics by the public when they're not needed, we also want to make sure that when antibiotics are indicated that they're used appropriately. So we want um, you to take your antibiotic as prescribed. We don't want you to save your leftovers for another illness or share with a friend or a family member. It's really important to remember that antibiotics treat very specific infections and taking the wrong medicine may delay uh, proper treatment and may cause harm. And I just want to mention that there are a number of materials that are available on our website which provide a lot more details than I can cover today in this short period. So please um, go ahead and visit our website if you're interested, and it's www.cdc.gov forward slash get smart. Wonderful. And Dr. Hicks, has any progress been made in recent years with regard to antibiotic use in outpatient settings, such as doctor's offices, dentist offices, and clinics? So we have seen modest declines in inappropriate antibiotics prescribing, in particular for kids. Um, data from a national survey showed that antibiotic prescribing rates for persons 14 years old and younger who visited physicians' offices decreased by 24%, and this was over about a 10-year period. Um, so we have made quite a bit of progress there. But what we do see is that antibiotics are still commonly prescribed for infections, which don't usually warrant antibiotic treatment, and that's for kids as well. The news is not as good for adults. There has been little improvement in prescribing for adults. Um, one thing I would say is that you're right about, you mentioned dentists, and dentists actually do prescribe a very large proportion of all antibiotics. Um, and at this point in time, we're just starting to learn more about how antibiotics are prescribed in dentistry. So we're not able to say how much is inappropriate, but we do expect or to, we, and we do anticipate that we'll identify plenty of opportunities to improve antibiotic prescribing in dentistry as well. And just one other comment about um, how antibiotics are used in this country. We have seen that there's actually quite a bit of variability across the country in terms of our antibiotic prescribing rates. Um, we have seen that some states in the South had rates, prescribing rates more than three times as high as rates in um, states in the West. And so we know that even in the low prescribing region in the West, that there's still a lot of antibiotic misuse. Um, but there are some areas of the country where antibiotic use is quite a bit higher. In general, I just say my bottom line is there are a lot of opportunities to improve antibiotic prescribing um, in, in many parts of the country and practically all of the states in the country. And in addition to that, um, we have a lot of opportunity to continue to improve prescribing for adults and kids of all ages. Wonderful. And Dr. Hicks, thank you so much for helping us learn more about the, um, the when, when and, and when it's appropriate not only to prescribe but to accept 
um, antibiotics for to treat the symptoms that people are experiencing out there, especially during the cold and the flu season. Um, right yeah. now, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just to say thank you so much. And um, if there's a, a Q&A period, I'm happy to talk about some of the things that can be done in order to address symptoms. Well, thank you. And we appreciate you being here with us today. And right now we are going to pause for a moment for another commercial break. When we return, we will continue our discussion about using antibiotics wisely and what everyone can do to help in the fighting against antibiotic resistance. Thank you so much. Um, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more. At this time, we welcome uh, all of our listeners, and we thank you for being with us today. We would like to welcome back uh, the doctors today on our show. And at this time, I'd like to introduce our guest, Dr. Arjun Smitivasan, and discuss the antibiotics, using them wisely, and what everyone can do to help in the fight against antibiotic resistance. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smitivasan. Hi, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we know that there is an awful lot of material uh, to discuss with you, and I know you're uh, going to help uh, clear up some questions that a lot of our listeners have. And I'd, I'd like to ask you at this time, or what are some of the most serious drug-resistant threats affecting hospital patients at this time and today? You know, there, there are actually a, a large number. And a couple of years ago, CDC uh, issued a report to try and categorize these threats a little bit because it gets confusing. There are a lot of different bacteria, 
that are resistant to antibiotics and lots of, lots of different antibiotics that they're resistant to. And what we did is, is we tried to look at all of these and say, well, which of these threats, they're, they're all important, but can we try to categorize them to help people understand which are the threats that we think are the, the very most important? And so we categorized them into, um, into kind of some urgent and, and serious threats and then some threats that are important but of, of somewhat less concern right now. And these are organisms, uh, many of which we see in our hospitals and healthcare settings, and there are about six of them that are really, really important causes of infections in hospitals. And there are two that we have on our list of the, the most urgent threats that are predominantly problems in hospitals. And one of these is a very, very resistant type of bacteria, and it goes by the uh, acronym CRE, and it goes by that acronym because it has a very long name. It's Carbapenem Resistant Enterobacteriaceae. And this is actually a family of bacteria that has developed really, really significant resistance to antibiotics over the past several years. Uh, and Nancy, in fact, there are some strains of this CRE bacteria that are completely resistant to every antibiotic that we have available to us. And for those patients who get infected with these strains of CRE, we really have reached a post-antibiotic era. We are in a situation where clinicians stand helplessly at the bedside with no antibiotics to give the patient, and the patient either gets better or doesn't based on their immune response, but we've got nothing we can offer them. And we know that for patients who get this type of bacteria, this CRE in their bloodstreams, uh, as many as half of those patients will die from those infections. So this is a very, very serious uh, problem. Uh, it is what we fear when we talk about antibiotic resistance. That's the bacteria that we truly can't treat. So that's one of the ones that we think is really an urgent threat that needs to be addressed in healthcare. And the, the other urgent threat is actually a, a, an, an agent that is, I know, uh, very familiar to, listen, to listeners of your show, and that's Clostridium difficile. And you know, we, we are careful to point out that Clostridium difficile is not uh, in and of itself a resistant organism. Our concerns with C. diff is not that we don't have effective antibiotics to treat it. But we point out in the report that the factors that lead to antibiotic resistance, the overuse of antibiotics, the spread of organisms from one patient to another, these are exactly the same types of factors that drive Clostridium difficile. And so we include that as one of our urgent threats uh, in this uh, antimicrobial resistance threat report that we issued in 2013. So those are the types of, of situations that we face in healthcare. And it, it really is reaching this fairly dire point where we are running out of antibiotics to treat uh, some of these important infections that impact some of the most vulnerable patients in our hospitals. Uh, for example, if you look at these CRE infections that I talked about earlier, those occur disproportionately in patients who are in intensive care units, in patients who are undergoing organ transplantation or bone marrow transplantation. So these are the, the very sickest of our patients, uh, really the people who can least afford to get infections with these very, very tough-to-treat 
uh, organisms. Geez, Dr. Sunivasan, it's so sad. You know, and when you describe, you know, patients with CRE, and of course our listeners are, are very well in tune with C. difficile, Clostridium difficile, um, it's, you know, to know that we're, we've reached a post-antibiotic uh, era, it, it's, it's so concerning, and, and we understand the urgent threat, and that's why we appreciate you, um, you and Dr. Hicks being here today. Um, maybe you can explain how does uh, poor antibiotic prescribing practices for put patients at risk in the hospital? Well, you know, as, as Lori just mentioned, um, you know, the, the issue of uh, antibiotic use is that using antibiotics allows bacteria to become resistant to antibiotics. And that is, that is just the price of doing business when we're talking about delivering healthcare. We know that uh, bacteria are always going to develop resistance to antibiotics. The challenge is, is that if we use antibiotics unnecessarily, which we do an awful lot across the spectrum in healthcare, both in doctor's offices and in hospitals, when we do that, we're exposing the bacteria to the antibiotic and we're helping breed this resistance, but without any clinical benefit to the patient. And so we there are creating a situation where there is, there is all risk but no benefit. And I think that this is an important point to emphasize. We, we know full well that even if we use antibiotics correctly 100% of the time, resistance will still develop. That's just what bacteria do. Bacteria, uh, like any living organism, want to survive, and they will mutate and change in order to do that. But... We believe, and the data suggests, the evidence suggests, that if we can improve the way we use antibiotics, we can make a big dent in this problem of resistance. We can actually slow the development of resistance. And in some studies, we've actually seen uh, uh, people have success in actually turning back the clock on resistance. We've seen studies where people improved the use of antibiotics and the bacteria in that hospital got more susceptible to antibiotics when they were able to do that. The challenge that we face in hospital settings, and it also applies to, to nursing homes, is that this is a very, uh, it's a closed environment, if you will. And so the risks uh, of developing resistance become even higher because you've got a confined population. Um, there's a lot of antibiotic use that goes on in hospitals at any given moment in a hospital about half the patients, one out of every two patients in any hospital on any given day is on an antibiotic. So there is a huge amount of antibiotic use in our hospitals. And studies have been done time and time again showing that somewhere around a third to up to a half of all of that antibiotic use is unnecessary. So we have a closed environment with very sick uh, patients. We expose them uh, to antibiotics. A lot of that exposure is unnecessary. Resistant organisms get developed and then can be pretty readily spread between one person and another in this uh, closed uh, environment. Okay, that's wonderful to know, too. And Dr. Svinivasan, are there any groups of hospital patients who are especially at high risk for um, developing a drug-resistant infection or a complication related to an antibiotic use? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is something that we touched on, and it's important to emphasize, yes, there are uh, certain types of patients in hospitals that are, are, are at the very highest risks. 
Uh, these, of course, are the patients who are most ill. They're in the hospital for the longest uh, periods of time. They have the, the most underlying uh, conditions, the, the most complicating factors for their care. Oftentimes, we see this in intensive care units. We see this in patients who are hospitalized with uh, very weakened immune systems because they're undergoing cancer chemotherapy or having a bone marrow transplant or an organ transplant. Uh, and so these are the types of patients who are really at the very, very highest risks for uh, suffering the consequences of, of an infection with drug-resistant uh, bacteria. But it's important to note that it's not the only place that we see these resistant organisms. These are problems throughout hospitals uh, when they occur. And so there's no area of the hospital that is immune from this problem. And so when we talk about the need to improve antibiotic use, the need to practice good infection prevention procedures, this is something that has to happen throughout the hospital for every patient, every time, irrespective of where that patient is in the hospital. Okay, and Dr. Svinivasan, we thank you so much for sharing this important information with us today and our listeners. At this time, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing using antibiotics wisely and what everyone can do to help in the fight against antibiotic resistance. Please stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. 
Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. You are listening to C. Diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. Diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. I'm Nancy Kerala, and we welcome back our listeners joining us today. We also thank and welcome back Dr. Svinivasan of the CDC in discussing antibiotic resistance and the use of antibiotics wisely and what everyone can do to help in the fight against antibiotic resistance. Thank you so much again, Dr. Svinivasan, for joining us today. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. And we're going to resume talking about this really important topic. And we thank Dr. Hicks and you for being here today with us. And we need to ask you what patients can ask their physicians when being prescribed an antibiotic. You know, in the hospital setting, we, we encourage patients to do exactly the same types of things that we, we like them to do when they go to their doctor's office uh, to the clinic. We think that patients need to know what medicines they're taking, and that certainly includes antibiotics. I think you need to know why you're taking them. Uh, for an antibiotic, it's important to know what infection uh, your provider is treating um, and important to know what antibiotic you're being given in order to treat that infection. I think it's also uh, very important to know uh, how long they're giving you the antibiotic for. It's good to know what types of tests they might do in order to make sure that you're on the right antibiotic. Uh, Lori talked a little bit about, for example, making sure that they are doing uh, a throat swab test uh, before they prescribe antibiotics to treat uh, sore throat, strep throat. In the hospital, the, the same types of questions are relevant. Different types of tests will probably be done. Oftentimes in the hospital, they may take samples of your blood to see if there are bacteria in your blood. They may take samples of your urine. Um, if you have a what they might think is a pneumonia, they might ask you, ask you to cough up phlegm or sputum uh, to do a culture of that. But we think it's critical that the proper types of cultures uh, are obtained and the tests are done in order to make sure that the infection is diagnosed correctly and then treated with exactly the right type of antibiotic to treat that infection. And the final thing that I always encourage patients to ask is to find out from their provider, what should I be on the lookout for? Are there signs and symptoms that might suggest that uh, I'm on the wrong antibiotic or that the antibiotic is not working? What would that look like? What do I need to be on the lookout for? Uh, and then, of course, what types of side effects do I need to be on the lookout for? What types of things uh, should I be uh, notifying you of? When should I pick up the phone and, and call you? Or if I'm still in the hospital, when should I let someone know uh, if I have, uh, what, what types of symptoms should I be letting people know about? Of course, the, the big one there is, is diarrhea uh, with or without fever. We always want people, because of that risk of Clostridium difficile, you know, I always tell any patient whom I'm giving an antibiotic to when I'm uh, doing my consult work uh, at the hospital here, you need to let us know immediately if you begin to have diarrhea. And so those are the types of things that we really want patients to engage and ask their providers so that they know exactly what they're on, why they're on it, and what they need to be on the lookout for. Okay, and that's really good words to the wise for the patients out there and their families. And 
Um, Dr. Sweeney-Balson, how often are antibiotics prescribed inappropriately in a hospital setting? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. Uh, far too often. There have been a lot of studies, Nancy, and they, they've really been done over a long, long period of time. You can go back into the medical literature and find studies where they looked at how well we do with prescribing antibiotics in hospitals that go back literally decades, 20, 30 years. And every time one of those studies is done, they find that somewhere between 20 or 30, and in some studies up to 50% of the antibiotics that prescribed are either completely unnecessary, so the patient did not need an antibiotic at all, they either didn't have an infection, uh, or they had an infection that wouldn't respond to the antibiotic, or they're being given an antibiotic that's what we call inappropriate, which means it's the wrong antibiotic, or it's being given at the wrong dose, or it's being given for too long a period of time. So there's clearly a huge uh, amount of, uh, there's huge opportunities, lots of room for improvement when it comes to using antibiotics in hospitals. Okay, and Dr. Svinnybalsen, um, switching over to long-term care settings, are there antibiotics being prescribed there inappropriately? Yes, absolutely, Nancy. And, and you know, I think that's something that is a, is a theme that cuts across every sector where healthcare is delivered. There is quite a bit of inappropriate and unnecessary antibiotic use in the long-term care settings, just like in doctor's offices and in outpatient settings. In the long-term care setting, the studies that have been done put that number uh, even higher than it is in, in outpatient and uh, hospital settings. There have been studies that show that the majority, sometimes up to 70% of antibiotics that are being given in long-term care facilities are either not necessary or inappropriate. So it appears from the literature that there's you know, even more room for improvement in that setting. Of course, you know, that is a setting where there are a lot of challenges to trying to make these practice improvements. There are a lot of challenges with the, with the infrastructure that's available in those types of long-term care settings. There may not be physicians who are on site, on staff every day. But we've seen great examples of ways that people can improve antibiotic use in long-term care settings. And increasingly, I think we see uh, a growing sense that there's really an urgent need to improve antibiotic use in these long-term care settings. And in fact, just this past summer, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, uh, who's the, the government agency that provides the vast majority of, of financial support to uh, these long-term care facilities to care for their residents, CMS said, you know, it's really now going to be required that every long-term care facility who wants to get money from the government needs to have a program in place to improve the use of antibiotics, what we call an antibiotic stewardship program. And so CMS has proposed that as a requirement for long-term care facilities to really try and address this huge problem of antibiotic overuse and antibiotic resistance in that long-term care setting. That's wonderful. And the core elements of the antibiotic stewardship programs, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. These are the core elements documents, and CDC has uh, a core elements of antibiotic stewardship programs, both for hospitals and for uh, long-term care settings. These are documents 
that attempt to outline the best practices for antibiotic stewardship programs. Uh, we are uh, fortunate in that we have some really, really nice examples of how to run very effective antibiotic stewardship programs. And I think you know, that's a point that I probably haven't emphasized enough in our discussion here today, Nancy, is the fact that though there is quite a bit of inappropriate use of antibiotics, both in hospitals and in nursing homes, there are many, many fantastic examples of people who have improved the use of antibiotics. And there are places that are doing this really well. And what we did a couple of years ago was look through all of these reports to say, can we identify a handful of best practices, the things that all of these types of programs seem to have in common? And let's pull those out and at a very high level point out to people, look, you know, these really are uh, best practices that seem to be associated with very, very effective antibiotic stewardship programs. And what was interesting is that the, the domains of these, the big buckets of these core elements, were pretty much the same, both in the hospital and in the long-term care setting. And I'll just, there are seven of them, so let me briefly describe what these are. We think that to have a really successful effort to improve antibiotic use, you need to have <coughs> your facility leadership on board. So this is a commitment from the facilities administration, be that the chief executive officer, you know, the chief medical officer, the chief financial officer, a commitment from that, quote, C-suite folks, from the board saying, yes, we need to take action as a facility to improve antibiotic use and then provide people with the support they need to do that. We think there needs to be a, a leader for the program. We think this needs to be one person who is designated as the leader for the stewardship program, who's really on point to make things happen and get things done. We don't think that leadership by committee is effective. We think there needs to be a single pharmacist who is also a, a kind of a co-leader of this program. These uh, Antibiotic stewardship programs depend very heavily on pharmacy services, and so you need that pharmacist, that pharmacy expertise uh, to be very, very engaged. We think that uh, the, the, one of the, the next best practice is uh, tracking of antibiotic use. You know, we often say that you can't improve something if you can't track it, so you've got to track antibiotic use in order to improve it. And then it's not just enough to track. The next one is you have to report that information, both on antibiotic use and resistance, back to the providers. You can't just collect information on how they're doing. You have to tell them how they're doing. Uh, number six is we think you need to educate providers on antibiotic use and resistance. What are the specific things that they can do to improve prescribing? Uh, and finally, you need to be implementing some very specific improvement interventions. You need to look for places in your hospital or your nursing home where antibiotics are not being used optimally and then implement some specific interventions to improve that use. And there are a large number of these different interventions that have been tried. And so we don't direct people to any one. We tell them, you know, pick the one that's most relevant and most meaningful to you. And we really believe that these core elements, Nancy, are applicable in any hospital setting. You'll note that I didn't say things like you have to have this type of person or that type of person right. uh, doing this, the specific uh, person. Mm -hmm. What we said is you need a leader. Uh, you need a pharmacist who's going to lead mm -hmm. this. 
It could be right. any type of, of leader. You've got to find the right person in your hospital. And we think these are uh, as applicable in a 10-bed critical access hospital as they are in a 1,000-bed academic tertiary care hospital. Mm-hmm. But we know that the program will look very, very different in both of those settings. But we think there are ways to implement these core elements very effectively uh, in each of those. Right. And Dr. Svenny-Valsen, we thank you so much for sharing this important information with our listeners, uh, also in, with our clinicians who are listening. And we are going to um, thank you and Dr. Hicks again for joining us today. Uh, we've run out of time. Uh, this uh, topic is definitely one we'd like to visit again with both of you in the future. And right now, um, we're going to thank you for all the information uh, that you've been providing for us today. Uh, we would like to thank our sponsor again, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Uh, and to all the patients and your families and friends being treated for or recovering from or have experienced a loss related to a C. difficile infection, there is hope. Please join, join us every Tuesday for continued programming, and please join us with leading government agencies, uh, healthcare agencies, and organizations in sharing this information provided to you today to promote C. difficile infection prevention worldwide. This is your host, Nancy Corrala. We thank you for joining us today, and until next week, Please try to have a pleasant day. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.